we have this model of education and training in which the student's head is a sheet of paper. Their brain is a sheet of paper and the teacher has a pen and all they need to do is write on that sheet of paper and declare victory. And that is wrong. Sanjay Sarma is a professor of mechanical engineering at MIT, and he's the former vice president of MIT Open Learning. MIT Open Learning is transforming teaching and learning at MIT and around the globe using uh, what you'd expect at MIT, like pretty cool technology. He's also the author of several books that I've read recently. The first is Grasp, The Science Transforming How We Learn. And the second one, which I have in my hands right now, is Workforce Education, A New Roadmap. In his book, Workforce Education, this is what Sanjay and his co-author Bill Bonvillian had to say. Applying what we know about how people learn and how to be effective in education, it's often taken a backseat in the development of our education systems. In the U.S. and worldwide, in light of workforce education needs and new technologies, we need for learning a significant redesign of existing education systems. I want to talk to Sanjay not only uh, because of his book, Grasp, and all he brought to the table around the new science of learning, but also want to talk to him about his book, Workforce Education, because as because as workforce leaders, it's not just critical that we understand uh, what it takes to uh, invest in our team uh, in a manner that produces positive outcomes, but it's also important that we get a full picture of what's happening today in the workforce. In his book, Sanjay goes on to say this, workers with higher levels of education tend to be the focus of the majority of employer training attention, and while there's wide variation among U.S. employers, some employers historically adopt what's called high road policies. Higher wages, incentives, teaming, and training coupled to opportunities for promotion, and others take low road approaches, reflecting different attitudes to the role of employees. I think you can, uh, you can probably guess, Jaime, what the low road uh, gets you. So let's dive right in. I wanted to talk to Sanjay, not just about how learning works, but I want to talk to him about how we create a workforce that can compete, where everybody has access to the opportunities they need to be successful. Here's Sanjay Sarma. Let's bring it in. There's obviously a lot that, that we could we could ask you out of the gate, but I wanted to ask the you wrote you know the, the book Grasp, starting with the first book Grasp. Uh, what was the what was the reason you wrote it, and um, and why do you feel it's so important in this moment as we think about work? You know, I uh, work. Uh, education is the oxygen of work. That's basically what's changed. It's like breathing air. You can't you can't work without breathing air. You can't work without learning. That's point number one. Point number two: work is changing very rapidly. And point number three: if you don't apply the principles of learning uh, judiciously and the science of learning, we're going to be really bad at it. I wish we did as good a job with education and learning as we did with athletes. Interval training, you know, uh, various drills, you know, we don't do that with learning. And I felt it was very, very important that we got into that phase. I wrote this book, obviously, we wrote this book before COVID, but it became very relevant during COVID. You know, it feels like it in, and I'm going to say America today, but I don't think this is just a problem here, uh, although we in your other book, Workforce Education, you point out why uh, it is very different here. Uh, the Why is it, it that the role of training, learning and development, HR around talent development, why why don't aren't those roles required 
or expected to have classic backgrounds and topics like you talk about in grasp. I feel like the science of learning is, you know, should be fundamental requirement to be in roles that are responsible for people development. I think we take people development for granted. Um, now, as we see talent shortages, it's becoming a strategic issue, but we've always taken it for, you know, a given. And uh, uh, what do you do? You just tell people to do this and they'll learn it, right? We also don't distinguish between training and learning. Training is when you teach someone to do something mechanical, right? When I say mechanical, it even it could be something abstractly mechanical, like you know, doing a spreadsheet. But education is when you get people to think abstractly, when they become, when they do something creative, make exercise choices, and we've always given it a short shrift. Even in the way we pay our teachers, it is something that um, really runs deep in American society that I think needs to be fixed. In, in the book, you talk about a guy named Herman Ebbinghaus. Uh, he was uh, talking about something called the forgetting curve, which seems to you know, look at the fact that most of what you learn, you forget if it's introduced in a certain fashion. Uh, I guess, what, what other uh, research or po data points would you point to in attempting to convince a person responsible for people development uh, to think differently about how they function in today's workplace, if upskilling, reskilling, cross-skilling is uh, is truly something that they want to make happen. Um, we have our techniques all wrong. It's as simple as that. Very simply, we have this model of education and training in which the student's head is a sheet of paper. Their brain is a sheet of paper, and the teacher has a pen. And all they need to do is write on that sheet of paper and declare victory. And that is wrong. The real model is that the student is uh, forming a model of the world. And it's like a tree growing. And you give the tree sunlight when the tree wants sunlight, not when it's convenient for you to expose it to sun. You don't just take a little sapling and give it all the sunlight it needs, all the potassium, all the nitrogen, all the, you know, uh, on day one and, and then declare victory, right? You don't do that, sodium, actually. But anyway, the point is that... Um, you have to give it when it needs it. And so, and there are lots of tricks. For example, it turns out forgetting is a very essential part of learning, but we actually treat forgetting like a sin. In fact, the human brain requires to forget things, otherwise our heads would explode, you know, with too much information. And so rather than applying techniques that uh, recognize these realities of our humanity, we sort of have this really false assumption and we sort of plow through assuming we're going to get good results and we don't. And so we assume that uh, therefore our techniques uh, we just think that uh, tr we sort of dismiss training as useless because we do it wrong, right? Sort of bizarre cycle of events that we're trapped in. One of the one of my favorite parts of the book was as you talk about discovery learning and you know the power of failure, curiosity, uh, you know, struggling through the process. Um, I guess can you tell us why why does that work? You know, if um, it's again comes down to this business of writing on a sheet of paper, which is the student's head, that sort of misunderstanding. The student is formulating a, a model. We are animals and animals like to seek, we discover, right? And that is the instinct that drives us. The equivalent to saliva for hunger is dopamine for curiosity. So when we are hungry, the body generates saliva. When we are curious, the body generates dopamine. It turns out dopamine activates a circuit in the brain, it's the dopaminergic circuit that facilitates learning. 
And if you skip the step of making someone hungry and shove food down their throat, you know what's going to happen? They're going to forget it, except in, you know, in a hot dog eating contest. <laughs> There's something else involved the next day, right? You throw up, right? And that's the same thing with learning. If you make someone curious, they will absorb it. If you just shove it down their throat, they will regurgitate it in the exam and it's gone. It will not stay. So if I was an HR director for a restaurant brand and I just built hour-long training videos and made you click through them every 30 seconds to show me you're still there and then give you a quiz at the end, that what, what's created when you do that? No, you just created um, uh, all sorts of bad habits that result in no learning um, and, um, and uh, they'll pass the test, but you haven't achieved anything. But if you, on the other hand, you broke it up to 10 videos where you reminded them on day one, day three, day five, just 10 minutes you would have much better results. What was your favorite part of the book to write? Uh, uh, my biographical bits about how uh, I went to work and suddenly everything came into context. Yeah. the I was talking about your your second book. Uh, not Again, I said second book, but several, Workforce Education. This morning, I was on a, I'm in the city of Newark and I sit on the Workforce Development Board and we just kicked off a tech task force with the focus on how do we create more opportunities for Newarkers in Newark. And out of the gate, I, I held your book up to start the meeting and said, everybody should buy this book uh, because I, you know, as we figure out how do we create more opportunities for more people, this is, I think, a great framework to start our discussion. Um, I guess, what, what same question from Grasp. I guess, what led you to write this book about workforce education? You know, it's interesting. We have uh, primary education, we have secondary education, we have tertiary education. So people go to community college or to uh, university. We don't have quaternary education. And in a gig economy, when people are changing jobs and technology is changing, if you want to learn something, what do you do? You're really going to take a year off and go get a master's, you know, or two years? There is no, it's not defined. And so really we wrote this book to point out it isn't defined. There are models, but we haven't formalized them. There are no incentives, right? Companies sort of make stuff up because they don't have options, right? And we need to systematize it. So this vacuum is what drove us to writing this book. You say in the book that there's a training problem. You said that a, a strong system of workforce skills training could make up for our college education divide, but US labor markets generally invest in suboptimal levels of broad skills training because after one company trains people, competitors often acquire those employees, and thus the first company failed to recapture its training investment. I thought, you know, again, if you if you went to a Shurum conference or if you went to any one of the trade association events, you know, you would believe opposite of what, what you had to say in your book around training. It seems like all companies care about is people when you you hear them on stage. I guess where's the disconnect? The disconnect is this. I mean, I'll I'll start by describing the Northern European models. So um, you're in high school in Northern Europe. By the way, we have Votech schools in Massachusetts, vocational tech. Most of the rest of the country has shut them down. Massachusetts has 27 of them. It's quite amazing. You're getting a, a degree. Uh, sorry, you're getting your high school diploma, but you're also learning to be a mechanic. In Germany, what would happen is you then go work at uh, BMW, you get a certificate. BMW, the... the uh, the master or the the uh, expert machinist that tells you how you know you do machining and so you, in machining it's often um, historically been a, a male machinist and then you learn and then you get a certificate and you go to Merced Mercedes or to some other company Volkswagen they accept it 
And it's not seen as a loss, right? It's not seen as trying to get them back. And the certification is accepted across. And the but the person doing the training really appreciates it. The school supports it. This the uh, the system supports it because they're getting this training initially in school, right? Maybe they get advanced training afterwards. And it's it's um, it's highly systematized, just as a bachelor's degree is systematized. We don't have the same system here, really. I mean, we have it sort of in ad hoc ways across small industry groups in certain areas. We don't have a systematized approach. If you don't have a degree, how do you sort of mix and match? And that apprenticeship system is really transformed. And in fact, it's a central part of the German, uh, um, you know, um, manufacturing behemoth, you know, when it comes to precision manufacturing, for example. So we don't have that. Now, it's you can always say we have it if you take very ad hoc solutions, but it's ad hoc. That's a problem. Why? I guess the question I have is, you know, why does it work there and why does it feel like you know, in many ways, when you look around, whether it's workforce, like the one-stop federal workforce centers inside of different U.S. cities, uh, why does it feel like there is um, nobody's working together? Is, 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 I guess, back to the question, are they just working together better? Yeah, they're working together. There's a sense of identity. You know, if you go to Stuttgart, right, you go to Schwabia, there is a sense of we are the manufacturing, you know, Hardcore metalworking hub of the world would take pride in this. The tide lifts all boats. We're trying to create workforce. So when we need to hire them back, we'll hire them back. But it doesn't matter if they leave my company and go somewhere else. The mentors and the teachers really take pride in their task. It's not just, you know, punching a number and saying, oh, I got, you know, an ROI. It's it's a sort of a, it's, it, it's a sense of community. I think our system has many good things about it. But one of them is that uh, we are much more transactional. And the transaction approach and things like this, mitigates against creating this sort of apprenticeship system, in which case the government and educational institutions need to step in. And that hasn't happened either, not in, in on the scale we need. I think the other thing that's scary is, again, I was looking, again, reading through this point of, you know, the declining rate of investment in training as a, as a community, uh, I think ranked 29th of 31 countries, according to the OECD, you mentioned, uh, also the declining rate of investment by companies, but it seems like when you double click on that, the type of training that's being invested in isn't necessarily skill building. It's, it's not skill building. It's to do the next job. I mean, look, what it is is, um, you know, you know, these to be company towns, things are highly vert vertically integrated, et cetera, et cetera, right? Then we went to the other extreme. Just do what we need, damn it. That's it. That's just this job, right? And so we, we disintegrated. The company disintegrated. You have a lot of contractors. And then it becomes transactional. And if you hire someone to do a job, you want to train as much as little as possible so they can do the job. But what you don't do, you don't do is give them longer skill or uh, deeper skills that will pay back in the long term. It's a very transactional thing, and that leads to this disintegration to some extent or the lack of integration. The there's this you know credentialing. It's a big topic. What there's seven hundred thousand plus credentials now. Uh, some some say there's you know, in, in you know, credential inflation. Um, how, how, if if you were talking to the frontline worker again, the one in two American workers who are a four hundred dollar parking ticket away from poverty that are trying to figure out how uh, they put themselves in a position to be successful while at the same time is dealing with all the challenges you mentioned in the book, transportation, childcare, the the wraparound programs that maybe are absent. What what can we do? Uh, if if um, at a community level for uh, to create a space where frontline workers and every worker get the same shot. 
You know, the problem with standards, here's a, many years ago, uh, and I still do work in standards. If you have a thousand standards, you don't have a standard, right? If you have a thousand different pipe threads, you don't have a standard because they'll never fit together. The odds of getting what you want are, are a screw thread, right? Now, or a bolt uh, sizing. The problem with so many credentials, the, the, fact, the reason we have so many credentials is we actually don't have credentials. It's all very ad hoc, right? The point is that we need to sort of, as a society, agree and standardize them and someone needs to step in, industry groups, government, and sort of uh, reduce them and make them interoperable, even interoperable. And that's the problem we're stuck in right now. Uh, and then the other thing is if companies won't do it, um, or if companies do do it, if it's, it could be selfish. It could be you're certified in my product as opposed to you're certified in a deeper skill, right? And if the government wants to do it, good news is you can do a lot of stuff online, but not everything, right? So the stuff that you can do online, you should do online. You should have weekend workshops. You need to give tax incentives or other sort of incentives so people can gather those uh, certificates. We've got to also give um, uh, prospective students an advanced sense of where the market is. You know, don't let them sort of, why should they make these bets about, you know, I want to do this, but maybe the market won't be there, right? So we need a navigator, tell them how to navigate their careers. This is what it's going to take. And when you have an apprenticeship system with the Boeing, with the um, um, BMWs, the Mercedes-Benzes of the world, that sort of gets baked in because the companies are participating, right? But here, if the companies don't do it, or they, they, they don't standardize, and the government does it, the government needs to sort of look ahead and be very mindful of where the jobs are so people don't jump into, into blind alleys. Yeah, I think the point you make about companies is a big one. The uh, They're not always seated around the table with, you know, again, speaking from a workforce development program perspective, uh, the biggest, you know, the biggest organizations inside most cities may not, may not involve themselves in a lot of the, gr the grassroots initiatives, whether it's for programs for reentry or it's programs for out of work workers or homeless youth, these critical, you know, ground floor programs. Uh, and I don't know, I hear it all the time from, as I travel with workforce centers who they constantly come back to this point of not knowing what companies want, like this conversation around skills. It, I don't know why it seems like we still haven't, you know, I don't, is there a skills gap or is it something else? There's a skills why? mismatch. There's a mismatch. Okay. The problem is, um, well, there is a bit of a gap as well, but it's really almost always a mismatch, which is a mismatch between what companies want and the systems in place, what they deliver, and a lack of connection between the two. That's really what it comes down to. The other thing is there's also always going to be a tension that companies want someone to do the job that they have right now, and institutions need to prepare people for life a little bit. So there's a that's a understandable mismatch. But it can be that it's like it's like digging the channel, you know, from the from the British Islands to uh, to France. It can be that we dig the two tunnels and they don't talk, connect to each other. That's sort of what's happening right now. Yeah, it's it's uh, wild. Uh, you know, I, Sanjay, I really appreciate you taking the time. I I, I have one one final question for you, and I'm gonna I'm gonna try to lead you into it. So, uh, I'm, I'm don't let don't let me take you down the wrong path. The, but you say in in the book uh, in your book Grasp, it says, "Give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. Teach a man a fish, he'll eat for a lifetime." And you say it makes a degree of sense, but that's assuming the way that you teach him. How to fish stays relevant for the rest of his life. You know, you're quoting um, Max Ventia in that. Uh, 
What is your hope for the future of work? Look, work is going to be dynamic. It's going to be short gigs. Your next gig will depend on how you did, how well you did in your last gig. And between gigs, you're going to have to uh, learn something new. That's why I say learning is education. I mean, learning is oxygen in, in the workforce, right? I think that we need to really think through the shape of the economy 10, 20 years from now and leave on the bread in some ways, right? The jobs, the gigs with uh, educational opportunities. And we need to have a whole bunch of new educational learning opportunities and credentials so that they can prove that they learned so that that interleaving can work. And we don't have that right now, right? Between your bones, you have cartilages. <laughs> learning is that cartilage. We don't have that. And we have to figure that out. Sanjay, thanks for taking time. Thanks a lot. Lovely to talk to you, Sam. Forty-four million adults today lack an associate degree level of education and earn less than thirty-five thousand dollars a year. Half of these people are likely to live in poverty. Only eleven percent of these working-class Americans earn a bachelor's degree by age twenty-four. Only two of every twenty-five children born in lower-income households ever reach the top quintile of the economic ladder. They're of all races and ethnic groups. They're being left behind. They need a new workforce education system. Without action, their situations will deteriorate the jobs of the future. Indeed, more and more jobs of today require significantly more education and training than they have. There was no better person to talk to, not just about how you create an environment where the most learning can happen. You know, Sanjay talked about the fact that getting your techniques right, because a lot of our techniques when it comes to learning and education and preparing people for work are wrong, rooted in outdated models. Sanjay even said that training in a lot of ways is transactional, which makes a lot of sense given the fact that the majority of workforce training today is a check the box uh, or not even skill building in nature. But I think most importantly uh, to the quote I just let in straight from the book Workforce Education, A New Roadmap, was the discussion around a skills mismatch. It was a discussion around the fact that the, the one thing we can do is work together better. The one thing that community colleges can do is connect better with their consumer, the student, and with employers in their community. The, number, the best thing that an employer can do is work with the community colleges. The best thing government can do is can, to work with all parties involved. This comes back to the fact that this is not any one group's fault or one group's job. It's everybody's. Um, and if you're an employer or a leader of people who wake up every day and think about preparing your workforce to perform their best at work, it is your job, it is your responsibility to do all you can to make sure that your people are accessing the information they need to perform the job in a manner that is the right technique, that we're using the right techniques to get people where they need to go. Um, and at the same time that we're considering the state of the workforce, what's got us here, who the people are on the front lines of work, where they're coming from when they come into work, and also where they're going back to when they leave work. All this has to be at the forefront of how we think about not just work and the future of work, but the people that make work work. And if you haven't already, and if you wanna have your mind blown around how learning really works and how you can level up the way your organization is leveling up their workers, I highly encourage you to go out and pick up Sanjay Sarma's book, Grasp the Science Transforming How We Learn. Uh, and when you're done with that, also pick up Workforce Education, a new roadmap. And you know what I'm gonna say next? 
you should probably do that at your local bookstore. Now, don't forget to subscribe to Bring It In so you never miss an episode. We've got some awesome guests lined up that you're not going to want to miss. Now, back to work. Thank you.